All right. God bless you. I would like for everybody to turn with me this morning, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to get into some beans and cornbread spirituality, food here this morning. The Bible likens the Word of God to our food. Praise the Lord, our diet, our eating. And I want to talk to you here from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. We talked, I mean, First uh, Corinthians. We talked to you last week from the 9th chapter. So this week we're going to go into chapter 10, verse 1. And I've got some interesting things here to uh, talk to you here about from the Word. And if you look in 10.1, it says, Moreover, brethren, this is 1 Corinthians 10.1. Moreover, brethren, I would not have, I would, uh, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, Paul had been writing in the ninth chapter about various things, and he talked about, uh, about how that, about idols and different things like this. And we talked about all of those various things in the ninth chapter. Now he moves into the 10th chapter where he spells out that many things of the Old Testament were given to us as a type and shadow of things that were, that were coming and they were giving them to us for our examples and for us to understand how God operates and God works. In other words, what happened to Israel in the natural is very much what happens to us in the spiritual, in a sense. And so Paul goes into that in this 10th chapter, and it's a very interesting chapter here. Look at 10.1. We have some uh, interesting things coming up, incidentally, here in uh, the Scriptures uh, in the next few chapters. We're going to be getting into the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. Chapter 11, we'll get into communion, how that's conducted. Also in dress, a little bit to do with women's apparel and men's apparel, more to do with the hair than anything. And it's in the Word of God. So if you give me permission, I'm just going to stay with the Word. Amen. All of it. So uh, in 10.1, though, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, which was the man, of course, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, which was the water from the rock. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, or that rock was a type of Christ. So what he is doing here is letting us know here that those things that happened to Israel in the natural is an example unto us of the spiritual things in, the, in, in our walk with God. Uh, down in verse 13, let me read this verse just to connect it with those first, uh, first four verses there. Down in verse 13 of chapter 10, there hath no temptation take you but such as is common to man common demand. That's why he said all were under the cloud. All went through the sea. But there has been no temptation that is that uh, taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. And uh, if we look at second Peter 2.9, if you'll give us that on the screen up here, we'll just read it off the screen here, Second Peter 2.9. Peter says pretty well the same thing, and then I'll get back to the 
various things here that happen. He says, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to uh, reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, which is the first part that we have reference to there, that he will not let us be tempted above that we're able. So whatever you go through in walking with God, folks, remember, God has his hand on it and he has his hand on you. Praise the Lord. And so he mentions that now. The word all, A-L-L, is mentioned five times here in these uh, two verses here, uh, verses one, two, uh, one and two and three is three verses, and four, four. It's mentioned five times here. First of all, he says, all of our fathers were under the cloud. The cloud, when the children of Israel came out of, the children, out of Egypt, because it would be so hot in the wilderness, the Lord put a cloud over them and kept them from the hot sun that beat down constantly in a desert which was what that place was that they had to go through that wilderness was a desert-like place or condition. And then at nighttime, that cloud would turn into a pillar of fire to give them warmth and to give them protection from beasts or animals or anything that would come from the outside, give them light. Just like we have city lights, they had their city lights, you know. God gave it to them. So they had a fire by night and they had a cloud by day. And that was with them the whole time they were in the wilderness, from the time they came out of Egypt, that was with them day and night for 40 years. That cloud never left them to the point that it became just old hat. That's what they expected it to be there. So they were all, all, all under the cloud. They were all in that, and they all went through the sea. The sea was a type of baptism to them. They came out of Egypt. So let me just give you some examples here of how that the physical with them is the spiritual with us. They came out of Egypt and we came out of the world. We came out of sin, out of darkness. We came out of the world. They went through the sea. It was a baptism of them. The Bible says it here under Moses. Ours was a baptism under Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ. So we were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in water. It says they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and also in the sea. So not only are we baptized in water in the name of Jesus, but we're baptized in the, baptized in the baptism of the Holy Ghost or with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God, praise the Lord, is like that cloud that's protection by day and it's like a, a, a fire that is a protection at night and it's also a, uh, a light that we may have uh, as well. I'm just trying to give you here how that these physical, literal things was a type of back then. And he says, just like all of them went through the sea and they were all under the cloud and they were all uh, under, they all drank of the same water. The water is also a type of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria there in the fourth chapter of St. John, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. If you drink the water that I have to give you, you'll never thirst again. And he's speaking of a spiritual. She said, give me of that water. He's speaking of a spiritual, spiritual water. Praise the Lord. It never came to the Holy Ghost came. The eighth chapter of the book of Acts, whenever the whole city was converted, turned to the Lord. And uh, James and John went there and laid hands on them after Philip had been there and baptized them all in Jesus' name. Uh, Peter and John went there and laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I'm just trying to tell you here how that uh, Paul is saying that just as they went through all of these things physically, we go through them all. And the word all here is an, is, it means no exception. We all go through it. 
And so while it is a, while all these things were a blessing to them, there's also some tough times, hardships, and difficulties that go with it. Uh, verse 4 here says, And did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. And when it speaks about the spiritual manna or meat, uh, which is manna, it doesn't mean that it was intangible, spiritual. It means that it came to them by the Spirit. The, the manna was literal. You understand what I'm saying? It was a literal thing. They went out, they picked it up and everything, but it was called spiritual because it just fell from heaven. That manna that they had, folks, had all the vitamins and minerals that you needed uh, in, in food. All you had to have was the manna. They wanted meat later, and the Lord gave them some quail. But the, the manna had everything they needed. And as long as they were there in the wilderness, they ate manna from heaven. And the Bible even tells way over whenever they finally came into the promised land that once they entered into the promised land, the manna ceased to, to fall. And from then on, they began to eat of the fruit of the land in, in the promised land that they went to. Now, the manna here then was considered also to be a spiritual meat. Jesus one time said that I am that manna which cometh down from heaven. So the Lord likened himself. Jesus is everything, folks. If you got Jesus, you got everything. You got it all. Praise God. He is the fulfillment of the law. And then it goes on to say here, uh, he was that spiritual rock that followed them. That was a rock that the Lord said to, Mo to Moses, speak to the rock. And he spoke to the rock and the rock poured out water. And it wasn't just a little trickling stream of water. It was a big river of water gushing out. It had, to th it had to give enough water for three to five million people, quench their thirst all the time. And also any cattle or any kind of livestock they had, had to, that came with them. And of course, the Bible talks about them bringing those things out as they came out. Uh, it had to take care of, uh, of uh, whatever. So that rock followed them. Uh, they would go and when they would set up camp again and they'd go to sleep that night. The next morning they wake up and that rock would be there. That rock followed them. That was an unusual thing. And the Lord went on to say that that rock was Christ or is a type of Christ. Christ is always with us, never leaves us, but he'll always bless us and he'll be with us. And the Bible talks about Jesus Christ is our rock and he's the solid foundation and so forth. And I won't go any further into that. Only to say here that he says that rock was Christ or that rock is a type of Christ. And so if you've got Jesus, you've got it, you've got it all. Amen. You've got that spiritual refreshing. You, we have the manna from heaven that feeds the soul. Uh, and, and if you've got the rock and then if you've got the cloud, you've got the covering by day and the protection by the Lord and all of those kind of things. Jesus is everything to us today. So Paul is liking those natural experiences that they had back then as being a thing for us today. I want to go to verse 6 here. If you look at verse 6 with us for a moment, it says, Now these things were our examples. Notice that. They were given to them to be examples to us. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So he says, God allowed those things to exist for them that they may be examples unto us. Look down in verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples. In samples is pretty much the same as example. And they are written for our admonition. I'm in verse 11 here. 
They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. All of the apostles felt like that the Lord was coming back for his church very soon. And this is why that you find that in the New Testament scriptures where he speaks about the soon coming of the Lord. And so these things are all spelled out here. If you look in Romans 15, 4, Romans 15, 4, uh, it speaks of this as well. Romans 15, 4. It says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So I'm trying to show you here that these things that are in the Old Testament are given to us as patterns, as examples. They are mentioned in, in a lot of different ways as being patterns and examples unto us. And that we have one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. This scripture in Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in us all. So again here is the Lord saying that he is in us. And so, folks, let me say this is only one way to be saved. There's only one. You've got to come through Jesus Christ. You know, everything has to come through Jesus Christ. There's no other... I, I, I talked to a guy one time, a long time ago, and he said, oh, religion is like a big, like a big spoked wheel. The heaven is the hub, and all the spokes on the wheel is different religions. And you, get, you choose the religion you want, and they all lead to the same place. They all go to the, I said, no, no, no. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where salvation is likened unto a big wheel, you know. And so this was just his, his talks and his words. But the Bible tells us there's one way to, to God, one way to salvation. Used to be an apostolic uh, black minister up in uh, up in Philadelphia at a big congregation, and he he came on the air on the radio all the time. I used to hear him on the radio talk preaching. He was apostolic, and he'd come on one 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 way to God, one 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 way to God. And he'd, that was his theme song. And then it was baptized in Jesus' name, and then he'd sing it again. And then he'd say baptized with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. It's pretty well like that. And uh, you can search the scriptures backwards and forwards, but there's only one plan of salvation. We all have to come through Jesus Christ. You can't come through, you know, uh, Buddha. You can't come through Mahabira, the, the, the god of the Janet, Janus religion over in India. You can't go through Confucius. All of those, you know, Shintoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, none of that's right. It's got to through, through, be through Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. You say, well, why? What about all these other people? Well, that's why the Lord said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, because he wanted the whole world to be saved, and he sent us forth, and we're still sending forth, and that's why we're still doing it. Amen. That's why missions is a big part of God's program for the church. God bless you people. You are mission-minded. God will honor you always. Bless this church for it. Let's don't ever lose that vision to be mission-minded. I'm going to move on here because the Bible here talks about being examples. Uh, we are examples. We are in samples. Uh, let me show you this uh, overhead here. This is, this is a, an example of what I'm talking about. This is the example. Let's see. Am I? There we are. Okay. Now I'm going to zoom this in some like this. 
where I could, where you can see it better. Now, this is the tabernacle plan. This is no big revelation. Most of you are familiar with it. Many of you have taught it. But uh, without getting into the numbers and the figures, I just want to look, you to look at the layout. And uh, this, is a, this is the page that comes out of Search for Truth. Any of you are familiar with Search for Truth? This was the tabernacle in the wilderness here. And uh, this is the tabernacle. This is the labor of water, brazen altar. And this was the outer enclosure here. The dimensions and all that, heights and all that, they all had, had meanings to it. But just to give you an illustration, suppose you walk through the, the door here or the gate and you approach the laver of water, I mean the brazen altar, uh, it would be, let me push this up. It would be right here, the brazen altar. I got, here's my pen right here. Uh, let me go a little higher. See the brazen altar here at the very bottom? In other words, this is the bird's eye view. Bird, brazen of altar, then the laver of water, and then when you went inside of the tabernacle, which was over here, if you went inside, there was a, a candlesticks, uh, seven golden candlesticks. There was a table with 12 loaves of bread, unleavened bread on it. There was another smaller altar that was called the altar of incense that was really sitting about where the word veil sits, right next to that curtain. And then behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And on that was two cherubim angels. And, uh, and there was a mercy seat underneath. And that was thought to be where God's presence on earth would dwell, or at least God would commune with man from there. And he did with Moses when Moses was living. Now, what I want to point out to you here, the Jews knew that this tabernacle plan represented something more than just their church in the wilderness. This was their church. They had a thing they had to follow. They had to bring all their sacrifices here to this brazen altar. The priests always washed before you went into the church. Every morning, uh, they put the fire out on this, and every evening they lit it so it would always be light in here. This bread was changed out every day. Every day it was always fresh. Uh, this, all, this altar here was always a fire that came from off this altar and so forth. They all had a meaning to them, but the Jews didn't know what it was. Now, in Josephus, who is a, who is a Jewish historian, Josephus says that many of the Jewish scholars who really stuttered this, they thought maybe it had something to do with the heavens, you know, about how the heavens are laid out or something. And they tried to figure it out, but never could come up with anything. Because they knew that in the, in, in the ancient Babylon and, and uh, Assyria and all that, they had this thing where they believed in the heavens being gods, you know. And uh, they had all these uh, not, astronomy, astronomy signs and all that kind of stuff. So they said, maybe God's got a plan that we, we just don't know about yet. This was the plan that was there. The tabernacle was a type of salvation. And when it, came, when it finally came, it came to be understood to be that. The brazen altar here represents repentance. On the day of Pentecost, they said to Peter, Men and brother, what shall we do? And he said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children, to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Many of you are familiar. It's, 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 it's completed in Acts eight sixteen. 
is confirmed. Acts 10, 48, 46, and 48 is confirmed. Acts 19, 5 is confirmed. I mean, other scriptures confirm the same thing that Peter said there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. But the point I'm bringing out to you here is that he seems to have it all right there in one, one, uh, one sentence, in one scripture, in that 38th verse. And, of course, the old tabernacle plan was that this represented repentance, brazen altar. This is where you died, the, the death happened here. They brought their sacrifices and they were, they died here. They were killed here. When we repent, we, the old man dies. We killed the old man. And then we, uh, we say, God, forgive me of all my sins. And the Bible says that we take off the old man, we put on the new, put on the, we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the baptism here or this labor of water that the priests always washed in before they went into the tabernacle. The, nobody else but the priest did that because nobody went into the tabernacle but the priesthood. And uh, they would use that water. They always washed when they went in. And uh, when a man became a priest at the age 30, he was washed. This is John the Baptist, you know, was the priesthood lineage. And John the Baptist began to preach at the, preach at the uh, age of 30. They always did this at the age 30. And uh, he began to baptize people in the wilderness and said, prepare, prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. Water baptism unto repentance. Then when Jesus came, praise the Lord, and began to teach the gospel, then he established baptism in his own name, which was followed by the apostles. The apostles then began to do that. Jesus baptized only his apostles, and the apostles did all the other baptizing. Uh, I won't go into that. That's in chapter, the book of John. But anyhow, this represents baptism. So repentance, baptism, and then we enter into the presence of God, into the church, the body of Christ. And in the church, in the body of Christ, that's not in the building, but in the congregation of people, there is the light of God and there is the table of showbread. This represents the word of God. And this represents the light of God and the spirit of God to give us light to be able to understand the word. You can, there are people who read the word of God and they come up with some wild ideas, wild ideas. And a lot of it's because there's no spirit of God to give them direction on it, you know. And I won't go into that any further. I wanted to say these have a spiritual representation. Praise God. And the word was fresh every day. And the word is fresh every day. Can you say amen? amen? The word is fresh every day. If you don't have this as a part of your life, make it so that every morning, give yourself time that you can read the Bible some and pray. Have a devotion time. The longer you have, the better it is. But even if you only had 15 minutes, get started with something. Have a time of devotion and a time of prayer. And read the Bible. Psalms is a great book to start reading. Just reading the book of Psalms and everything. But have that devotion down the Word of God. And the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost with us will help us to understand the Scriptures and understand the Word of God and what it means. This uh, altar of incense here that was next to the veil here before you went to the Holy of Holies, that was next to the veil that was across here. This uh, altar of incense is a type of consecration. In other, words, in other words, once we get saved and we get in the church, we don't quit praying. You don't have to go back and repent all over again. You don't have to come to church every service and repent over and repent and repent and repent. If you are, shame on you. Quit doing what you're doing so you don't have to repent over it. And walk on with God and serve the Lord and let God give you his peace and love. Amen. So this is like a consecration. It's a 
commitment. And a lot of times you see our people praying at the altar, it's because they're consecrating their lives. They're committing their lives. They're going further. It is, uh, praise the Lord, that light that we have that is within us on the inside. And God will keep that burning, praise the Lord. And then, of course, this holy of holies here is a type of God's spirit and God's presence that is with us all the time. And uh, the high priest only went in there once a, once a year and everything. All of this has, has symbols. This fence, for instance, around it here had dimensions to it. That's all significant. It, for instance, it was seven feet high. The Bible says that uh, all have come short of the glory of God. And all have come short of glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. So that no man could look over the top. He had to come through the door or the gate. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, so everybody could, anybody could come through here. And it goes on. All of these have dimensions. So I'm just saying, and the tabernacle is only one thing. Everything to do with Israel coming out. This is why that our preachers and our ministers, when they preach the gospel, uh, many times they'll go to the word of God. And they use the Old Testament for examples of how they did this, how this and that, because it's given to us. It's given to us for examples that as God did for them, he will do also for us and in a spiritual way. Hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. God bless you. So there are shadows of things. There are examples of things. And uh, let me uh, let me give you another example here of a. Uh, one that I want to show you here. Uh, go to Matthew 11 for a moment. I think, I think this is one I want to use. Matthew 11. This is where the Lord said, I'll give you rest. Uh, he said to them that he would give them rest. Uh, I'm taking you to the land of promise. And I'm going to take you into this promised land. I'm looking for that verse of scripture. Many of them did not receive the rest. I'll come back to that in a moment here. But God had said to them that they were going to have all of these things that happened to them. But many of those Jews failed in the in the wilderness and did not receive the rest. And uh, here's what the Bible has to say. Jesus said this in chapter 11, verse 28 of Matthew. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the Lord talking about giving you the rest because the children of Israel were going into the land that would be their rest. It would be their rest. The Bible refers to it. It was called the Sabbath, called the Sabbath. And I'll give you some other scriptures here in a few moments. But Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, uh, if you will look with me for a moment here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you. This is 2.16 of Colossians. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Actually, the word days is added by the translator to give it a clearer meaning. 
if you not, did not read that, it said the new moon or this Sabbath, only just it would say Sabbath. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moons or of the Sabbath. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. Now I'm going to give you, a, uh, give you the real meaning here of the word Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. And that was a seventh day was called the day of Sabbath, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. It was given to Israel and given to the Jews for them to have a day of rest at the, at the end of their week, as you well know. The seventh day was their Sabbath. But the Lord, praise the Lord, used it in a spiritual sense. And I'm going to bring that out to you here, that you and I, praise the Lord, receive the rest in the Holy Ghost. There's a rest that is in the Holy Ghost. And so the Lord has promised that. Now, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor, we are in heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does he give us that rest? He gives us that rest by giving us the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You see, with the, earth, with the New Testament church, Sunday was not the day of rest. It was the day of worship. And it was called the Lord's Day. In fact, the book of Revelation was given to John on the Lord's Day. It was given to him on Sunday. And uh, so the early church would always worship on Sunday, not on Saturday, but they worshiped on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. And they regarded it, praise the Lord, as a day of worship. The, the word Sabbath, which means rest, praise the Lord, has to do with the Holy Ghost that God has put within us and inside of us. All right. Now, I want you to go to Isaiah a minute. We talked about Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, go to Isaiah for a moment. And uh, look at 2811, 2811 in, in Isaiah. This is a prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, meaning the Jews. God's going to speak to them with the, in this manner. And he would speak to them in this manner by pouring out the Holy Ghost to the disciples in Acts chapter 2. And then it went on from there. And when they were, they received the Holy Ghost, they said, Men and brethren, what meaneth this? And Peter preached to them about the Holy Ghost. You know, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission. And ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, for this promise is unto you, to your children, to them that are far off. So God had witnessed to them. When they heard the speaking in tongues, it was a language that, they, that the people that heard it knew, but the Jews that were speaking it did not understand it. Speaking in tongues... Uh, is sometimes referred to as a heavenly language. And we do know that it is sometimes a foreign language that we don't know what it is. The person speaking doesn't know. We had a woman in this church that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she was, she was Haitian and did not know English. I didn't know that. Man, she got excited and started praising God and worshiping God and glorifying God. And I was so excited about it. One of our sisters came over to me and said, Brother Myers, she doesn't know English. She's speaking perfect English. She's worshiping God in English. She doesn't know English. She's Haitian. She just came over from Haiti. She doesn't know English. When she got through speaking in tongues and the spirit lifted, she's talking in Haitian again. She didn't, you know, she didn't know English, but she was speaking in tongues. I, uh, I was up in St. Paul, Minnesota one time. Her lady received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and was talking in tongues. And the guy was sitting out there that had, was a visitor. God sometimes lets people see things for a reason. This guy was a visitor, and he looked, 
and uh, everything. And, and I was sitting on about the second pew back, and the Holy Ghost had fallen, people had been receiving the Holy Ghost. And he came up sitting next to me, and he said, how long has that woman been out of the Eskimo country? She was a student there at Apostolic Bible Institute. How long has she been out of the Eskimo country? I said, I don't think, I don't think she's ever been further north than right here in St. Paul, Minnesota. I said, uh, I said uh, she's from Louisiana. I don't know. No, 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 no. He said, she's been in the Eskimo country. She's speaking fluent Eskimo. And I knew she was speaking in tongues. To me, she was speaking in tongues, but she was speaking fluent Eskimo. So I called the pastor, and the pastor said, they witnessed the guy and told him what all this was about and so forth. Now, I'm telling you all of that so that you understand here that speaking in tongues is speaking a different language. And so when these people on the day of Pentecost gathered around, when they gathered around there and they heard him speaking in tongues, some heard him speaking in one language, some heard him speaking in another. I think there's about 16 different languages that they were speaking. They were all Galileans, but they were speaking in different languages all over the then known world around the Mediterranean. And that's speaking in tongues, and they were speaking in a different language. Praise the Lord. I've heard people speak in tongues, and it sounded to me like they were speaking in Chinese. I don't know what it was, or a dialect, you know. Brother Abernathy, uh, our, one of our home missionary promotion directors, uh, he was a missionary in South Africa. He said, in the bush country, I've heard Africans over there receive the Holy Ghost and speak perfectly English, perfectly fluent American dialect English. And then I've heard them speak in tongues, speaking English-type English, you know, the English dialect of English. I mean, you know, God is just, he's so perfect in it. Uh, Brother James Wood, I remember he was, a, I went to Bible school with him for years. He was a missionary for many years to, into the country of Iran. And he had been back over here debutizing. His family was over there. And he was in Milton, Florida. And a message in tongues came forth. The woman spoke in tongues. And he heard the message given in tongues. And then he heard the interpretation. The interpretation was about how God was going to protect you, keep his hand on you and so forth. And, and he says, he said to me later when he came through and we had, break, we had lunch together, he said, I don't have time to be in service with you, Brother Myers. I got to get back to Iran. And he told me about this message that he heard. But he said when the message came forward, it was in fluent Iranian. That woman from Milton, Florida, didn't know what she was just from Milton, Florida. She didn't know what she was saying. But she was speaking fluent Iranian. And he says the woman that interpreted uh, with the gift of interpretation, interpreted perfectly, just like it meant to be. But to me, knowing the language and knowing the condition of Iran, I, know, I knew God was telling me, get back to Iran because that's going to be a revolution. And that's when the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, I'm trying to get over his name, Khomeini, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, took over Iran right after the Shah was there. That's right after the Shah. And he said, I got to get back over there and put the church. So he went back, put the church in order, set up. And, and now whether you know it or not, in Iran, there is an apostolic movement, church, that's fluctuating as well. And it was all started there by Brother James Wood many years ago. He now pastors here in America, but he's kept contact. But I'm just trying to tell you here how speaking in tongues is. So the Lord says, uh, I'm going to speak to this generation. Praise the Lord. We'll talk more about the gifts of tongues, interpretation of it, and all the spiritual gifts when we get to chapter 12. But I just want to read this verse to you here in 2811. Follow me very closely here. 2811 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest. I'm getting back now to the rest part, the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest 
and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. That is, Israel would not hear. And the Lord said, I'm bringing you the rest, not the one that they would have coming into Canaan's land, but the one he would give them in spirit in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus. Now you say, Brother Myers, that's a pretty good theory. Yeah, yeah, sounds, yeah it really sounds good. That, yeah, it sounds great. Well, let me, give you, let me give you scripture for it. Let me just wrap it up with scripture here. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Here's what Paul in writing says. Hebrews chapter 4. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. This is questionable because it doesn't say he did. But his style is all through the book. That's my humble opinion. <laughs> it wasn't worth anything. 4.1 of Hebrews. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He goes on to say here in verse 3, I'm saving, I'm skipping down to save time. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, speaking of Israel in the Old Testament, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 5. And in this place again, he's recording another scripture, if they shall enter into my rest. So the Lord is pointing out here that with Israel, the Lord talked about entering into the rest, which was promised land. But he's saying in the New Testament now, God has a rest for us. Verse 9, I'm reading that one. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's a rest for us. Think about that for a moment. I'm not moving fast away from that. There is a rest for us in the Holy Ghost and in the Spirit. And then he says in verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall short after the same example of unbelief. They failed in the wilderness through unbelief. They did not believe the word of God, and so many of them failed. And it talks about all the things that happened to them. Let me say one word to us here today before I leave this subject about the rest. There are times, even when you have the Holy Ghost and you're walking with God, there are times you become very vexed in spirit. You become troubled. You're uneasy about something. Something's come up in your life. Something's happening. And you just don't know what to do, which way to go, how it's going to turn out. You're apprehensive about it. Can I just say this today? If you, if you ever experience those things or troubled, go to God in prayer. Now, I know that's not like a simple example, but do it, folks. Just take it to the Lord in prayer and say, Jesus, I need to feel your peace. Remember, he's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And his name should be, a, his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he could give us peace. And if you're troubled in spirit and you're troubled in soul about something and something is just really bothering you, go to God and say, God, would you give me your peace? And folks, I'm going to tell you what God can do that. God can pour that upon your soul. He can pour it upon your heart. And you as a child of God have a right to that. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, let me tell you something, that peace will come with the baptism of his spirit. Praise the Lord. Uh, when I was uh, a Bible school student in Minnesota many years ago in St. Paul, 
there was a, a team of uh, people who had, were working on their doctorate degree from the U University of Minnesota. There was uh, a man and two women who came to visit us. I'm sorry, there was a woman and two men. They came to visit our church, and they asked the pastor, said, can we sit in your services? We want to just observe the people, how they worship, and we want to observe people receiving the Holy Ghost at the altar. And they did. They come there, and he gave them liberty to do it. And, of course, they, you know, everything went on as normal. And people didn't know who they were or why they were there or anything. And when the people were down there praying, and there were people speaking in tongues at the altar. Now, listen to me closely on this. These three people came to the pastor, came over to the pastor and said, Pastor, we have studied what's happening here, people receiving the Holy Ghost, as you claim it, speaking in other tongues. And they said that whether you know it or not, we have put things on people and tested them out when they sought the Holy Ghost. And they said, if we were to put these heart monitors on these people, when they were worshiping God and praising the Lord, the chart would be like this. Now, this is what they said to the pastor. Charts would be like this. But the moment they began to speak with other tongues, it did like this. And it was almost as if they were in a sleep. There were that much rest and that much peace would come over them. They said, we don't understand it. We're trying to figure it all out. We're all three working on our doctorate degrees that lean toward understanding these kind of things. But we will tell you that it really works that way because we have experimented with it to some extent. So, if they, and he just pointed that out. These people, that one's speaking in tongues, that one's speaking in tongues, that one over there is speaking in tongues. They said, if that could be seen, it would just be like this. The heart thing would be like that. It wouldn't be like this. It'd be like that because it would be as though they are in a sleep or they are in a restful, relaxed situation. I'm telling you, folks, that in the Holy Ghost, there is a rest. So when the Lord said, praise the Lord, you know, this is the rest where we should rest. Can I just say here to you today, folks, this is our rest. Amen. Sunday is not a rest for me. I don't know. A lot of us come here. We worship. We praise the Lord. It's not a, a rest day, but it's a worship day. Amen. And the Holy Ghost is for us. And if you're ever battling anything and you've got conflicts and strife and troubles and things coming your way, Amen. Go to God and, and to God and say, God, give me a rest. Uh, there's a, a woman in this church that lost a child, and she said that she was so troubled by it. Excuse me. <coughs> she said, I went to the Lord in prayer, and I said, God, please give me peace and give me a rest. And he, she said, the Holy Ghost came all over me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet all the way down. And she said, at that moment, I felt the peace and the rest of God. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, she's all right. She's with me. And he said, after that, I never worried again. I just said, God, she's in your hands. And I'm telling you, folks, God can give you peace in all kinds of situations, all kinds of circumstances. And we all go through different things and go through things. But God can give you peace and give you rest because the Holy Ghost is the rest. Praise the Lord. And so what... Canaan's land was promised to them to be the rest. You and I have that in the Holy Ghost in whatever land you're in. Praise the Lord, whether you're in America or whether you're in Africa or India or China or, or uh, Bangladesh. Praise the Lord. God bless our pastor. He'll be back, I guess, Wednesday. They're having great services over there. But God is good, isn't he? And God will always give us his peace. Let's stand together and let's praise him. Let's thank him.
Let's glorify the name of the Lord together right now. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We magnify your name. Bless us all, everyone. Bless this congregation today. Bless the morning service, Lord. Touch our lives and hearts. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.